What do you guys think about studying Revelation? Oh, yeah, let's do it. Listen, we could just... Is that what we're here for? Yeah. yeah, I mean, we could, if you want. Revelation 12. <laughs> um, I am not... Yes, I am going to review a little bit. start with verse 1 and go to 17. <laughs> no, no, we gotta start the talk. We have to review, so let's go ahead and turn to Revelation one. <laughs> Take it away, brother. Um, you must be out of a job. I know, I know. I, he's doing good. <laughs> he's doing it just like I would. <laughs> um, so we what it, we only covered a couple verses last time, but they were powerful verses because what happened in the last passage we read in Bible study. The seventh angel sounded. The seventh angel sounded. So the 7th trumpet sounded and yeah, and they, we saw the ark of the covenant, you know. And um the seventh trumpet is also what? There's another set that's being fulfilled in the seventh trumpet. A woe. A woe. It's the third woe because it during after the fourth trumpet, remember there was that voice that cried um, woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpets that have already sounded and the ones that are yet to sound. So we saw the woes start to happen with the torment of the locusts and then a third of men dying and then the two witnesses that were um, uh, also killed but came back to life and ascended to heaven. And, um, and then after that, then the seventh angel sounded. So... In chapter 12, um, let, so he said, uh, and it's interesting because, oh, you know what's interesting in this Bible is that, you know, it has, it has like the titles and the sections. And so the seventh trumpet is verses 15 through 18. And then it says the woman and the dragon starting at 11 verse 19 and then going through. The woman and the dragon. That's what we're talking about tonight. The woman and the dragon. What does that mean to you, Agnar? Kamala Harris in China. Oh. <laughs> Mine's different. What did you say? What did you say? Kamala Harris? Oh, in China. Oh. Okay. That was very funny. Okay. But it is it is kind of interesting. Chapter 12, I've, um, I think I mentioned this last week, I've gone to chapter 12 a lot in because of the i don't know the references like to satan and to um uh the descriptions tying the serpent in and all this stuff um but i always and so because i've gone to 12 outside of the context of revelation i've always considered it like its own separate block and i never i never have really looked at it in line with the seventh trumpet sounding the temple opening in heaven the ark of the covenant being seen i don't know why i'm telling you that except that that's just background from where i'm coming from <laughs> But we see, but I, like I've always said, since the beginning, um, we're looking at the order Revelation is written in and why it's written in this order, right? So that's part of what we want to do. So let's read verses one through six, and then, yeah, and then we'll break six, it down. Thank that's you, good. Michael. <laughs> and there appeared great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon underneath her feet, and upon her head a crown of false stars. She being withheld by travailing in birth and came to be delivered. All the way to work? Six. And there appeared another wonder in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads on, and ten horns, and 
seven crowns upon his head, and this hail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, and did cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And she brought forth a man child, who was to rule all nations with rod of iron, and her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and threescore days. Wow. That's a lot. It sounds like uh, Mary and Joseph. Mary and Joseph? Good, good. I think that is something that should come to our minds. Because the connection with Mary is in, so this woman that's travailing, that's ready to be delivered, has a man child that is to rule the nations with a rod of iron and that's caught up to God in his throne. And so I think that should immediately make us think of Jesus, you know, and when we think of Jesus, then we're also going to think of, and who gave birth, we're going to think of Mary. So that's, yeah, that's a really good connection. And then the dragon was trying to devour him. So it's like, is that like in a, because this, Baby is like something special, something good. Old yeah, or something yeah, like that. yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. yeah, so yeah, we see this evil monster trying to devour the child as soon as it's born, and uh, and we can think of that literally with Jesus, right? What what happened as soon as Jesus was born? Herod. Yeah. Yeah. Herod's wanting to kill him immediately as soon as he's born, right? That's. Oh yeah, no. Who puts that? Like, kill all babies that are born. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, under two years old, he said, yeah. kill all the babies in Bethlehem. Yeah, because he didn't know which one it was and figured Jesus was around too, so they mm-hmm. had to make sure they were covered. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. Yeah, so we already see this this uh pattern, but it's even it's even a larger pattern than that. The idea of and and think about these three things that so I put that on the top of the sheet, the the child of the woman and then versus the dragon, right? There's this theme of the woman versus the dragon that's actually throughout scripture in a couple different ways. Can we think of anything going back even even farther from, from Mary and Jesus about, about this theme? Obviously Joseph's second dream. Well, no, no, not yet, not yet. <laughs> well, no, we could, actually we could start looking at that. I'll put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Good. So the uh, Adam and in Genesis oh, three verses here, here. Take this one. No, I thought of that before, but he has the specific references written down. So the first, um, yeah, the first woman, right? We saw um, facing off a serpent, and there was this promise that the seed of the woman, right, was going. He says to the serpent. God says to the serpent. I'll put enmity between your seed, he says to the woman, or to the servant, and her seed. And you, he says to the servant, will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head, right? So the, the servant is going to, uh, you know, attack the heel of the seed of the woman, but the seed of the woman is going to crush his head in the end, right? So that's that theme. Um, and when you, when you start to read the Bible in order, looking at that theme um, of the seed of the woman, who is the seed of the woman? Um, I, when I, I started reading Genesis with that lens, like it really came alive because it's like, there's this promise where we're facing evil, but there's this promise that the seed of the woman is going to defeat the evil. And as you start going through her first kid is Cain. And she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. That's, that's what his name means appointed. And I bet she thought he was going to be the seed. 
and uh, he crushed somebody's head, but it wasn't the serpent, right? He and so and then so then then we got Seth, right? And then um, by the time Noah comes, Noah's dad says he is going to rescue us from our. Uh, from the curse. He's going to rescue us from the curse. And then the flood came. And then, but then Noah messes up too. He gets drunk in his vineyard and he's cursing his grandson. And, you know, like all this crazy stuff's happening. And, and as you keep going through this, this promise of the seed keeps getting renewed and renewed. And we know, of course, ultimately it's going to be fulfilled in Jesus, right? That's that, where that prophecy is ultimately fulfilled. So, yes. But that was a type of salvation, like Noah and the ark. Yes, yeah. He was saved through the water. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. But, um, and what, it, you know, in verse 6 here where it says about the woman fleeing to the wilderness, I mean, what it makes me think of is those verses in Matthew where um, Israel... <laughs> uh-huh, go ahead. <laughs> where Israel has to flee. And, you know, and then it's got this reference of the three and a half years. Uh-huh, is that uh-huh. three and a half years? Yeah, yeah. 1,260 days. The, the yeah. tribulation. This is all scripture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good, good. That's, That's all right. <laughs> yeah. So let, let's back up from that a little bit and look at um, uh, the description of the woman. And then, um, and like, yeah, and let's let's just draw some some of the scriptural parallels. So the way she's described initially, how is she described? Clothed with the sun. Yeah. And the moon under her feet. And upon her head a crown of twelve stars. Yes. Okay, does that so what that made me think of was uh what Kay mentioned a second ago, Joseph's second dream. Remember Joseph in the in Genesis. So let's go to Genesis thirty seven, nine and ten. And remember he he had a dream when he was seventeen and he is the um eleventh son of Jacob, right? So Jacob has 12 sons and Joseph was the favorite. Joseph gets the coat of many colors and uh, his brothers are jealous. And then Joseph in his uh, brilliance as a 17 year old has a dream of um, him and his brothers out in the field and they're getting some wheat together and they get some sheaths. And then he's like, and guys, all of your sheaths bowed down to mine. Isn't that awesome? And they're like, no, that's not really awesome. And then he had another dream. And so who wants to read that? I can read it. Okay. And he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars made obeisance to me. And he told it to his father and to his brethren. And his father rebuked him and said unto him, What is this dream that thou hast dreamed? Shall I and thy mother and thy brethren indeed come to bow down ourselves to thee, to the earth? Okay, so how is his father interpreting that dream? So Joseph's like, I dreamed the sun, moon, and 11 stars bowed down to me. And what's Why his dad's interpretation? 11 stars and not 12? Because of how many brothers he had. He had 11. Okay. Yeah, he was the 12th. He, he's the 12th bright star that the rest of them are all bowing down to, right? <laughs> so That's how he interpreted it. Yeah, and he immediately, the father immediately, you know, attributes it to the them, yeah. to the family. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's like, I, I love how the dad's like, not like, that was a weird dream, I wonder what it means. He's like, yeah. what are you saying? Yeah, <laughs> he yeah, immediately, yeah. yeah, he's like, there's no, not even a question of what the dream means. He's like, yeah, yeah. oh, you think me and your mom and your 11 brothers are going to bow down to you? You know, it's like, oh, okay, so, you figure that out really quickly. <laughs> so uh, as the father, he thought he was the son and the mother was the mother. <laughs> That's what I'm guessing. That's what I'm guessing. And the yeah. mother wasn't even there when it happens. Yeah, well, she was dead, yeah. She was gone. A lot
unless it's like, yeah, I always wondered, is like, is he talking about Leah or is he talking about like his actual mom? I don't know. I don't know. Or one of the clunky ones. <laughs> yeah, probably not the clunky ones. So, but yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting that uh, that connection, that, that was like the one connection I could think of too. And it's, we always, uh, no, sorry, not we always, but I, I've heard a lot of scholars talk about stars generally referring to angels. That's what I was thinking right there. It said one-third. Uh-huh, right. And that 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 one verse third. in particular. Um, but in a lot of places, stars refer to the children of Abraham, right? Because he, God tells Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars. And uh, and then Joseph has this dream where it's 11 stars, the those 11 tribes of Israel. And uh, later on in like uh, the book of Daniel, it says those that are wise will shine as the stars, as the stars. It says it like that, as the stars for, uh, that was the Hebrew word, forever and ever. And so there is, there is um, while it can, I'm sure it can refer to um, angels in places that it's not exclusively to angels. There's, there's a, and, and we talked about this with the seven stars that Jesus was holding his hand in Revelation 1, since you, you were going there, I know, at the beginning of the Bible study. But in Revelation 1, he, what did Jesus, Jesus had seven stars in his right hand. And what does he say those seven stars are? No, the candlesticks are the churches. He's standing in the middle of the church. They were the spirits. No. He says, these are the seven angels of the seven churches. And then he says, to the angel of the church at Ephesus, write this. To the angel of the church, right? And why seven stars? It's because the stars are things you look to to get direction, right? Well, not us. We look to our phones. But but like in their day, right, they're going to look and say, okay, what? And and they, like the wise men, when they started following Jesus, you know, they, they look to the stars and they're like, oh, a king is born in, you know, in Judah and blah, blah, blah. And they're they're, they're yeah. figuring these things out. And the, the ancient people really look to the stars. And God didn't want his people worshiping the stars, right? Because right. they, they had a belief that there's these mm-hmm. spiritual beings up there. And God says, no, I've given you the stars for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Um, but it's interesting that he compares his people to stars that are lights in the darkness to direct, right? To direct for... so. Okay, so that was just that's just like what came to my mind with that reference. So the woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, and a crown of twelve stars. Are there any other uh, thoughts about that that first verse? Do you guys have any ideas about like so why? And I don't know. What was his first dream. His first dream was of the the sheaves of wheat bowing to him, and anyway, he told his brothers. Or yeah, we can we can look at it. No, I was oh. just because um, I remember something with um, Joseph's wife as the. Under the, let me get back to Revelation. Um, I thought it was, um, so you talked about uh, the woman clothed, which is goes back to, you're saying Mary or Eve or Israel. Uh-huh, uh-huh, right? yeah. And then the moon beneath her feet. I thought there was some reference to that on Joseph's wife through that dream somewhere, no? I don't know. I don't, yeah, I don't, we don't know a whole lot about Joseph's wife. There's a podcast about it. Oh, Live. did she say anything about right? it? I don't think she mentioned anything about that. She just released it, but she recorded it. There was a, um, it was like a historical fiction novel in like the, like the, the that's how I consider it, in like the, the Jews wrote about Joseph and his wife. And it was, it was like, Bible fan fiction, and they're they're right. They had this whole story about about him and his wife and her conversion to Judaism and stuff. And so, what is fun the stuff. moon beneath her feet? I don't know. I don't know like the specific references to like the moon beneath her feet and clothes of the sun and the, the crown of twelve stars. 
makes sense to me, referencing yeah. the 12 tribes. And then connecting the sun and the moon, if if Jacob's being referenced as the sun in that dream, you know, that kind of makes sense. She's clothed with, with Jacob, right? That, mm-hmm. There's or But the moon at the feet... I don't, I don't The only thing I can get. like correlate is like how Jesus says that That's the world, the like he has authority and the earth is his footstool. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's the only thing that moon, I got, but it's not, it's not the moon. I mean, it's the world. It's not the moon. Yeah. yeah. But it could also signify like authority. Like, yeah, yeah. Because so he's the only one who has it. It says the moon is in the under her feet, indicating that she is a nation God has marked as special. I don't know what that has to do with the moon. Specifically. I'm thinking Mother Earth and things are orbiting. And her <laughs> <laughs> corresponded to the twelve tribes of Israel. She is with child, a picture of the Messiah. Her labor pains represented the struggles that were part of life of the Israel. Do you guys want to hear a um, wild theory that uh, I I'd have to do more study on to like teach confidently, but that I'm intrigued? No. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> no, and I'll, I'll just. I'll, 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 well, I won't mention it. I won't mention it. <laughs> but when you do you get more information, that's in the post Bible study. No, I want to tell you. This is perfect. So uh, there is a theory about um, the wise men when they when they saw the star in the east and they went to find Jesus. Um, that so I in a lot of like the Christmas like plays and stuff, you picture like a brand new star, you know, and they just follow it. It's like leading them, and then people are like looking outside, like, what is that thing? And uh, but it's interesting because like Herod wasn't able to follow the star apparently to find Jesus, and it's they're wise men from the east, they're magi in Babylon or wherever that are studying the skies and that believe that the skies tell stories and stuff, and so. There's astronomers that have like gone back and and recreated like or like you know you're able to uh, I don't know how it all works but you can tell what the skies look like mm-hmm. and people made charts and all that stuff with the skies and so but like the constellations and stuff um, there is around like three BC like when Jesus was being born there was the constellation of the Virgin Virgo that. Uh, and it was in that position of the sky where the moon at her feet and 12 stars and and uh, the king star, which was Regulus and Jupiter, uh, come together. And the constellation of the lion is above, you know, which is another symbol of kingship. And there's the um, uh, what else is that? It's and so there's this there's this idea that like all of these stars came together and it's basically like telling the story of the virgin birth, you know, mm-hmm. and the, these magi in Babylon would have probably, because this is like in the tradition from Daniel, they would have known some of the prophecies from Isaiah and stuff like that. Um, and so they, they're wondering if maybe what happened is they're looking up at the sky and they're seeing these things come together and they're like, I, I bet these are that prophecy. So they travel to Israel and, um, and then Jupiter, that like king, it's, they would still call it a star, even though we, you know, have a difference between planets and stars, but they would consider it a wandering star. And that there was a time where it was doing this like retrograde motion where it was moving, you know? And so they, there's this whole like astronomical theory about what the wise men were looking at that came together, um, that even the, the heavens declaring the glory of God and, you know, um, the, all the, the planets and stuff are all 
like telling his story and they they were interpreting it and, and it's came amazing. at that time they, they knew all that you so know, they had sure. it out. so that's 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 possible i i, I would want to do more research to like I, you know but it, it's kind of an interesting idea that like all that stuff was was coming together and yeah. well one thing that strikes me is once they got there to jerusalem i guess the star quit leading them they had to ask around they had to ask the herod where is he you know and all that but then, like we were talking about Matthew 1 and 2 last yeah. Thursday, and then there's a point where, again, they see it, and, and it leads them right to Jesus, yeah, and they have yeah. great joy. Yeah, so yeah. There, there was a time, I mean, we were talking about maybe it was cloudy or something, you know? Yeah, they couldn't, they couldn't see it And they had to ask around, and that's, you know, mm-hmm. it was all probably part of God's plan. Yeah, yeah. To fulfill scripture. But. Yeah, so... <laughs> Pretty crazy, but okay, let's keep going because let's get off of that one. In this case, we see, and what I, I guess the main thing I wanted to draw out from this is this, the woman being a theme throughout scripture in this promise that the seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. I think that should be in our heads right away when we start reading this chapter. Um, now, specifically the woman travailing, uh, let's go to Micah. Well, no, okay, let's first, let's start with, no, let's go to Micah 4 first. Micah 4, 8 through 5. Is it 8, 4? Uh, Micah chapter 5. Chapter 4. Or chapter, chapter 4, 4 verse, verse 8. 8 or 8? Eight? Eight. Eight. <laughs> verse 8. You got it, Colin? No. Oh. Uh, you want to read it? Mom, go ahead. You want me to read it? Mom can, yeah. And, oh. and thou, O tower of the flock, <clears throat> the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, Unto thee shall it come, even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now why dost thou cry out aloud? Is there no king in thee? Is thy counselor perished? For pangs have taken thee as a woman in travail. Be in pain and labor to bring forth, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in travail. For now shalt thou go forth out of the city, and thou shalt dwell in the field, and thou shalt go even to Babylon. There shalt thou be delivered. There the Lord shall redeem thee from the hand of thine enemies. Okay, so he's talking about the kingdom coming to the daughter of Zion, Israel, and yet she's in pain and she's travailing. He's like, why are you Why are you crying out? Is, is there no king in you? And this is ironic because at this time there was a king in her, but it's not the king they're expecting, right? It's not the king, you know? And he tells her, you're going to go to Babylon. You're going to go and be, and there you'll be delivered. And then if you... Uh, we won't read the whole thing, but if you go forward into chapter five, he says, they'll smite the judge of Israel with a rod on the cheek. And then there's a, a prophecy we know well, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been of old from everlasting. Therefore will he give them up until the time she which travaileth hath brought forth, then the remnant of his brethren shall return unto the children of Israel. So there's this, there's this idea of Israel being like the woman that needs to travail and bring forth the king, bring forth the Messiah who's going forth as a man of old, of everlasting, you know, um, and, and it's described as a woman travailing. Now it gets cooler. Go to Isaiah 26, 17. And I, I really think like Revelation 12, it's like just the story of the whole Bible, like is encapsulated in this chapter. 17. Who wants to get this? Like story? as a woman with child that draws near the time of delivery is in pain and crieth out in her pains. So we have been 
in thy sight, O Lord. We have been with child. We have been in pain. We have been brought forth wind. We have not forth deliverance in the earth, neither the inheritance of the world fallen. Okay, now pause you right there. He's like, this this doesn't sound good, right? They're in the pain of labor and travail, and yet it's like nothing's happening. The deliverance isn't coming. The deliverer isn't coming. You know, this is painful. But then there's this promise in verse 19. Keep going. The dead men together with my body, and they shall and awake and sing. Whoa, whoa, you're skipping, skipping words. And awake and sing, yea, that dwell in the dust, for thy dew is dew of herbs, and the earth shall ash out of the dead. Okay, so there's this promise of resurrection, right? The dead men are going to live. They're going to, the earth's going to cast out the dead. You awake and sing, you that dwell in the dust, you know? So in light of what we just read in Revelation 11, right, that, that's a significant promise. And then skip forward to chapter 27, verse 1. And the day of the Lord with his sore and great sword word shall punish uh, Leviathan. Uh, Leviathan and the piercing serpent and liveth in the crooked serpent and he shall slay the dragon that is in the sea. Okay. Yeah. Mine says, mine says reptile. Okay. Yours is, is like... Um, we don't want to put sea monster because that's weird. So we're going to tone it down a little bit. That's what, that's what you're doing. So um, Leviathan is, is described in the book of Job as this creature that is crazy. It like breathes out fire. It's like nobody can hurt it. It's, it's like the like the description of Smaug in The Hobbit. Like he's like arrows bouncing off of him and stuff. It's a lot like Leviathan and Job. And so, and so here... Israel is described as a woman travailing and not bringing forth, but one day there's going to be a resurrection, and in that day, the Lord is going to kill the dragon that is in the sea, Leviathan, that crooked, piercing serpent, right? Reptile. That's his name? Leviathan? Dragon. I'm going with the dragon. <laughs> it's the word tanim, which is, is in, it is so funny, yeah. Yeah, some of the modern translations they well, this they're is, trying. This is new. This is New King James. So I'm just surprised. What? That's like, New King James. Uh, this is reptile. Mm-hmm. Ugh. That's that's what I'm surprised about. I was just like, New yeah. King James would replace it with reptile. It's that's really horrible. Word. That's a horrible translation. They're yeah. missing. They're missing it. They're missing it. All right. New King James is usually pretty good, but there. Well, yes, but that's, that's missing the point. The, the, the New King James it's not about him killing a reptile. It's about him killing the dragon, killing Leviathan. You know? The difference between a lizard and a dragon. Yeah, yeah. So, Michael, is this like, yeah, yeah, like when we have case, a promise from God? I don't think so. Like, it, and it signifies like the woman, like yeah, we have to work back. Yeah, they just promise so we travail you know constant prayer travailing over that promise like hey you know hey um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know we're constantly praying until like when that promise comes forth it's like delivering that child delivering that promise yes but yes yes i yeah i think that that is accurately like that is true that is true this in revelation 12 is like that but on a on a cosmic scale like this is talking about the plan of god from the beginning mm-hmm. you know and we have the yeah. the players the woman who is travailing and needing to bring forth a child 
and the dragon who wants nothing else but to destroy that yeah. tra- that child. And so, um, so yes, we mirror that in our own lives in ways. But like, so like Paul, he says, "My little children." When he's talking to the church in Galatia, and he's like, "You," because they they're listening to other doctrine. He's like, "I I uh, I cry and I long to be with you, and I'm travailing over you again until Christ is formed in you." Right. So the goal of the travail, if the travail isn't bringing out. Jesus, mm-hmm. then the travail is like in Isaiah 26, where he's like, we're travailing like a woman, and, mm-hmm. but we're bringing forth nothing, you know? Mm-hmm. But when that travail is, and then like, so in John, he talks about, in John 16, actually go to John 16 real quick to, to reference what you're saying. John, the gospel of John chapter 16. This isn't in the notes. This is, mm-hmm. this, is a bonus. This. this is a bonus. This is a bonus. This is a bonus. John 16. 16. Verse 12. Um, verse, let's see, well, um, yes, it is, but so 19, let's start with 19. Uh, Sister Rochelle, do you want to read that? Are you there? 19 to where? Through 21. 22. 22? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now Jesus knew that they were desirous to ask him and said unto them, do ye inquire among yourselves of that I said? A little while, and ye shall not see me. And again, a little while, and ye shall see me. Verily, verily, I say unto you, that ye shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice. And ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembereth no more the anguish, for joy that a man is born into the world. And ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again, and your heart shall rejoice, and your heart and your joy no mo- no man get from you. Yeah. But there is gonna be like false prophets before you come, right? Oh, absolutely. So yeah. You might trick us or try to. Well, and we'll get into that in the next chapter. Yeah. So, <laughs> but yeah. So, but here Jesus is telling his disciples I'm this. For a We're waiting for his second coming. Yeah. So Jesus is uh, telling his disciples this in right before he's gonna be crucified. Like this is. Mere mm-hmm. chapters before, um, and mere you know hour or so before, right? Mm-hmm. And he's like, and he's like, in a little while you're not going to see me, and then after another little while you will see me. And they're like, what? <laughs> and he tells them they're going to have sorrow, they're going to be upset. And he's like, but it's just like when a woman travails and, and has labor pains, and for the moment she is she is not having a good time because her <laughs> travails come upon her. But then right after that, it's all forgotten in the joy that her child has come. And so, and so. Yeah, so it, think about Israel in this respect. Um, Israel is in true, and and actually, okay, I'll go back to Eve for a second before I talk about Israel. Eve is told by God her her punishment or her or the the curse, right? That that she partakes of. He's like, I, I will multiply sorrow in your conception, and to the man, he's going to multiply. He multiplies labor in all all of them. The man, the woman, and the serpent. The serpent's crawling on its belly. The woman's travailing in labor to bring forth the seed. And and the man is laboring with the sweat of his brow and producing thorns and thistles, right? And God does that because he... And that's a result of the curse. Like, when sin enters the world, like, there is that travail. And it's that travail is necessary. It's a necessary part of the process in order for us to get to where God wants to take us, right? Because, because of sin... The travail helps us to realize that we have to depend on God. We can't just do it, do it on our own. You know, there's this 
um, there's a deeper, deeper meaning, you know, beneath mm-hmm. that. And so that's reflective on all of us. And, and then, but think of Israel as a nation and the stuff that they go through. And there was a, a I heard a Jew, I can't remember who said this. They were talking about the Holocaust and they said, it's been like this, you know, from the beginning because we're God's chosen people. And what, and this Jewish guy said, well, I don't know if I want to be God's chosen people because, because of all the pain and sorrow and travail that's come upon us as a result of this. But we see that like the travail that Micah was talking about was them going into Babylon, right? And it's because of their sin and be, and they, they lose their king, they lose their temple, they lose like these things. And yet that travail in Babylon was going to bring something forth. And that's something that it brings forth is Jesus ultimately, right? Jesus comes out of that woman in travail. There's, so there's this, there's this purpose and there's this process behind everything that's going on. And it's so that God can ultimately work deliverance, right? But there is this... Uh, yeah, but uh, we uh, bring that travailing on, on, upon ourselves, really. Yeah, a lot of times we do. Yeah. I mean, all the time. Well, think about what Jesus said in John 16. <laughs> the travail that he was talking about there was the sorrow the disciples are going to feel because he had been crucified, right? But then he's then he's going to rise again. Oh, sure. If it wasn't for sin, yeah. Ultimately, the travail is because we are unrepentant. We're not listening. We're not doing the things that we need to do. Israel, for instance, they continue to do, and they had how many chances? Finally, God said, "All right." And that's when He allowed Babylon. That's what brought their, you know, their travail. Yeah, afterwards it brings forth something else, but I don't. That's the way I see it, though. Well, I think we all have a promise that, like, even before you got married, you know, a spouse. It wasn't necessarily that you were sinning. It's just that you needed something from God, and in order to get that promise, you have to go through traveling to get refined, and you know, you're on the potter's wheel for Him to change you until you get whatever it is that you want. Yeah, I do think there's things that, some things we won't reap unless we sow in tears, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, not necessarily sin, though. Right, But yeah. there are some things that we bring on ourselves. Right. As well. Right, yeah. Ultimately, like, travail is a result of the curse, you know, and sin. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, that's the reason that that's, that's even a thing, even in the natural. But uh, because that is a thing, because that's part of the process, mm-hmm. like, that, that has to be gone through in order for birth to take place. Okay, so the woman's in travail, right? But and then there's this other thing that is seen, the dragon, and that this enemy that doesn't want the seed to to come, right? And so what is uh what is how is the dragon described and what can we learn about how the dragon's described? Yeah, seven heads. Seven heads, yeah. Ten horns, seven crowns. Oh, is it seven crowns? Seven crowns on the heads. Oh, I wrote ten crowns in the uh, in the notes. Erase that. Erase that. Cross it out. It's seven. They're on the heads, not the horns. It does make sense. Awkward. Awkward. Typo. Typo. Seven crowns. Ten horns. Ten horns. So, what do heads? Huh? Each head has a crown. I mean, I'm assuming. Maybe all that. Maybe one head has seven crowns. One, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's seven crowns. Apart. It's, it's, 
Oh, okay. His heads. Seven heads. Oh, seven seven heads. crowns. Oh, seven crowns. Yeah. Yeah. So what? Do, what do we? What can we take from that? From the seven heads. And a great red dragon. Yeah. I didn't notice that it was red. That's yeah, a lot of versions say red I, I did it. I, I've I looked at about ten different red. versions. They all say dragon or red dragon. Yeah, yeah. I. Uh, that's funny that I didn't so even red think dragon about. To but. Me is terrible. <laughs> well, we're gonna learn what exactly the dragon is. There's no, there's no question in this chapter what the dragon is. You can't, you can't apply it to what the Bible. If when we get an interpretation of the Bible, we gotta go with what the Bible says. So. Yeah, yeah, it is Satan. Yeah. Yeah, one of the versions puts it in parentheses right there, Satan in parentheses, right next to it. I do, yeah, why Why red? I don't know why red, though. Well, the devil is red. Because the devil's red. Have you not seen a, a drawing of him? And he always True. has a good point. He's always red. Why, yeah, why? <laughs> I mean, you don't usually see him. He usually doesn't have seven heads. He only has two horns, though. And no crowns. Yeah, okay. So, the, that's oh, not exactly the picture here. Um, I'm gonna have to think about red more. Red, yeah. red is. Did you read um, it before you came to? The I party? did. I did. <laughs> I did. I just didn't notice the red for some reason. I mean, I read it. I read it, and I uh, and and I was picturing a red dragon like in my head, but I didn't really think about the significance of that. So, except. So I got one up on you. I'll tell you this, Sister Melinda, that there's a whole thing about red through the Old Testament um, that has to do with Adam. The word for Adam, uh, which is mankind, comes from the word red. And Esau, he is called Edom because he is red and hairy. He eats the red pottage. It's a symbol of the earth and the flesh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a symbol of the earth and the flesh. But then it is uh, overcome by the red blood of the sacrifice. And Colorado is Spanish for the color red. And Colorado is Spanish for the color red. So you gotta be careful. Okay. He's gonna fight out of the mountains. I think we have a flag. Okay. Okay. Why? uh, Now the numbers are significant. Seven heads and seven crowns. What has seven been representing all throughout Revelation? Yeah. I would feel so much more comfortable with this verse if it was six heads, six crowns. That's what I. That's what I wanted. Six horns. I think John missed it on this. No. It's complete over the evil. Yeah. Yeah. There. There. There is an aspect of his authority and his and the the heads that he has. That is complete, right? Mm-hmm. There's a, there's an aspect of complete authority that he has, and and horns. Now remember, the lamb also had a lot of horns. How many horns did the lamb have in chapter five? Seven. The lamb had seven horns. The dragon has ten horns. So seven plus three is ten. <laughs> <laughs> get on, get on. Yes, yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm not following significance, I but I'm following the math. <laughs> so if seven is the number of completion, um, what are what are some things in the Bible that we see ten associated with? Ten plagues. Yeah. Ten commandments. Ten commandments. Ten commandments. Yeah. Um, we see ten horns specifically in Daniel's vision of the fourth beast, right? Or the, he sees the four beasts, and the fourth one is great and terrible. Um, do you guys remember what they symbolize there in that vision? The the angel tells him tells Daniel what the horns symbolize in that vision. Kings, kings, yeah. Kings, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, so horns horns do do 
symbolize power mm-hmm. throughout scripture. The horns are a symbol of authority and power. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so like kings have. Yeah. So he he yeah. there's this sense where he has these seven crowns and seven heads. So he has this like complete authority and then he has this like uh exceeding power, right? There's this there's this interesting like um uh, just like that beast in Daniel's vision. Um, but there, but and and so there. I think there's meant to be a contrast, you know. We're like thinking of the the lamb with seven eyes and seven horns, contrasted with the dragons, seven crowns and ten horns. So just keep that in mind as we continue to go through. We're gonna get some more information on that as we keep going. Are we good with that explanation from Daniel? Do we want to read from Daniel? No, we're good. I think. Okay. Revelation one, four through six. Okay. And, and so his tail drew the third part of the stars of heaven, cast them to the earth. Yeah. Was he like slingshotting them with his tail? <laughs> yeah, I know. This picture is great. He's like, like a woman close with the sun and the 12 stars and the dragons there with his tail. He's like, I got the stars. He's like, he drew them with them. Yeah, I've so I've talking about the stars from the woman. Well, I don't no, think it's talking about the stars from the woman. No. Okay. She she has a crown of twelve stars. I think this is when he oh, fell no. from heaven. That's where we're gonna stand. That's <laughs> yeah. So and that's I've that's the like one interpretation I've ever heard. I don't think I've ever heard anything so different from that. Passage of a reference to Satan taking one third of the angels with him when he fell from heaven. And the, and it, it's interesting because we've seen a third in Revelation mm-hmm. prior to this, right? On those the third parts of creation, we even saw a third of the stars darkened. You know, um, yeah, and a third of mankind die. And now Satan's taking, you know, the dragon is taking his tail and cast down a third part of the stars. And we'll see that the dragon has, the devil has angels, right, that are so his. The later is, on, is this, is this something he's seen that had happened already? Well, that's the question, and I that was what I wrestled with the most going through this, but. Um, I do want to maintain like our our timeline rule. No, I, I but I, I I do want to just for just for us to like think through. Because um, the other day I was listening to Revelations. Yeah. At the beginning, when it started, it was speaking as if Revelation was things that happen, things that are happening, and things that are going to happen. But of course, I came back and I was like, "Well, where, where is that?" And I couldn't. That's one. Well, it's, yeah, it's in chapter it's one, in chapter verse nineteen. Two, right? Yeah, and he tells John, write the so, things you have seen, seen, the things which are, and the things which are to come. To come. So, yeah. I mean, I know we're keeping with the timeline, but just because we're keeping with the timeline doesn't mean that that is not what they're talking about. And right, well, and I do I do want to throw... A lot of these things could be happening. I mean, we don't know for sure. Like, it could have already happened. Yeah. And then, yeah, there's things that are going... Yeah, and in, and in this case, like, I do want to, like, get get the cards on the table because verse five, she brought forth a man child who is to rule all nations with a rod of iron and her child is caught up to God into his throne. So we have a very clear (laughs) story in scripture of Jesus ascending up to heaven to the throne of God. And so, yeah, so that, that's like, okay. This is a revelation of who? Of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, this could be pretty much telling the origin, right? Right. And the thing is, all the trumpets and all of that. Right. That's what I was going to bring up. There, yeah. This is in the context of the seventh trumpet. Like the seventh trumpet just sounded and then he sees the Ark of the Covenant and and, and he sees this. No, but that's already over, right? It didn't no, just yeah. sound. It just sounded in the in the stream that we're reading. It, when, we, when we read it with the chapters, that's why I said okay, at the beginning, no, no. 
when I when I read this before, I've always looked at it like that. Like, okay, so we're we're removing this out. It's like I don't know why it's in the middle of Revelation, so but we're you know. So twelve should need to be twelve. Would you just be? It's a continuation. Thing? It's a continuation. Yeah, absolutely, it is because. Notice what he said. The third woe is coming. Well, all that happened so far is a lot of noise and a proclamation and the 24 elders falling down and worshiping, you know? Like, there hasn't been anything, any woe that's happened to the inhabitants of the earth yet. Here in a second, we're going to see a woe because Satan is cast down, seeing his time is short, you know? So I'm getting ahead of what we already read. But, well, actually, and let's let's talk about that. But there's three, there's three, cate- there are three uh, options for Satan's downfall from, from heaven. And I want to talk about each of those. Um, and so we're maintaining our like timeline rule in the sense of like, not trying to, not trying to like nail down, like what's going to happen. But I do want to talk about like, okay, so I'm sorry, I'm not finishing. Well, here's, any of my the thing, though, here's, here's the thing though, too. I mean, for whatever reason though, too, there, there seems to be, I mean, for instance, in Job, where Satan, you know, say he comes, yeah, he's he's in the presence, obviously. Yeah, well, yeah, and you're jumping ahead because I want I want to talk about that here in a second <laughs> when we talk about the war in heaven. But yeah, so yeah, definitely, let's let's talk about so, that here in a second. So okay. hold hold that thought for just one second because what I'm seeing in the first six verses is he's seen signs in heaven and he's seen things that are these symbols that are all throughout the scripture, the woman, the dragon, the seed that's coming from the woman. There's, these are like the foundational themes of the Hebrew Bible and the, and the new Testament. right, these are the things that we, we, uh, we see as we read through scripture. And so it does make sense if there's this like pulling back and like, all right, let's look at this broad story. This, these are the players, right? It's almost like, here's the players of what's going on. And then we're drilling down because it's clearly linked to chapter 11 in verse six. She flees to the wilderness where they should feed her a thousand two hundred and three score days. And we've seen that number already in Revelation. That's how long, what? Where was the last place we saw that? Well, one of the, the witnesses prophesied a thousand two hundred and three score days. Yeah, in oh, chapter yeah, 11, verse three. Right. The witnesses prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days. And then we see that exact same number is the time that the woman is in the wilderness being fed of God. Okay, so that... That can't be coincidental, right? There's there's an obvious link there. But again, if the overarching theme is the woman is travailing, going to give birth. The dragon wants to destroy her seed. Who is she giving birth to? Clearly the Messiah, because do you guys know where that rod of iron reference comes from? The one who's going to rule the nations with the rod of iron? Is that, um, uh, just, uh, what is his name? Moises? Or who's that well, he yeah. used a rod of wood, oh, okay. but this is somebody who's going to roll the nation with a rod of iron. Go to Psalm chapter Psalm two. two yeah. yeah. And let's, let's just read through that. It's pretty short, but, um, it's definitely what this is referencing. Let's just all go around and read a verse. Who wants to read the first one? Psalm, Psalm, two. Two. Psalm chapter two, verse one. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a great thing? The king of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers plotted together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And that's the, if you translate that in Hebrew, that's against the Lord and against his Messiah. In Greek, it's against the Lord and against his Christ. Okay? The anointed one, right? Uh, Melinda, verse 3. Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Okay, so what are we seeing here so far? Why are the nations raging and the people imagining a vain thing? The kings of the earth and their rulers are all taking counsel to come against the Lord, to come against his anointed, okay? The nations are angry and they're fighting against God. 
Okay, verse four, brother Ethan. He that sitteth in heaven in the heavens shall laugh. <laughs> the Lord shall have them in derision. I love that. All the kings of the earth are gathered together to fight him, and he's what he's like, you mean? guys are so he's cute. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Allison. Then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. So all the kings are gathered together to fight. He's like, but I've set my king oh, on the holy hill of Zion. Yeah, they want to go and talk to God. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I will declare the decree the Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Mm, sounds familiar. Verse yeah. 8. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Jessica? Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel verse 10 be wise now therefore O ye kings be instructed ye judges of the earth mm -hmm. serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling and then 12 kiss the sun lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little blessed are all they that put their trust in him yeah. So, this is a psalm about the Lord's chosen, anointed king, who is called the Son of God, the begotten Son of God, right? Who is the king who's going to rule over all the nations of the earth. And how is he going to rule? With a rod of iron. And he's going to dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. We've already actually seen this language in Revelation. Go to Revelation 2.27. Yes. Oh, no, Melinda, go ahead. And he shall rule with a wrought iron, as the vessels of potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. Okay. And notice this. Jesus says, He that overcometh, in verse 26, and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers. That's Psalm 2. Even as I received of my father. Okay. So, it's, so what is this talking about? It's talking about, the Psalm 2 is about the, the king that God is going to appoint to rule. And it gives that description. And then Jesus, he's saying, we're going to rule and reign with him, right? He's giving that same authority to us. We're going to have little rods. We're going to have little rods of iron. <laughs> little iron splinters. Okay, so when I see in, in chapter 12, verse 5, she brought forth the man child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron. Who else could that be talking about? That's got to be talking about... Jesus, right? That's got to be talking about the Messiah. Her child is caught up to God into his throne, right? That's Psalm 110 language. And the woman fled into the wilderness. The, the wilderness is also a really huge theme in scripture. Think about all the people that fled into the wilderness. You already mentioned Hagar mm -hmm. with her child flees into the wilderness. And it's interesting, Paul compares Hagar to the Jewish people of his day that had not followed Jesus. And he compares Sarah to the, the people who had, <laughs> okay? And so uh, Hagar flees into the wilderness, but remember God takes care of her. There's suddenly there's a well in front of her. She sees, and she gets a yeah. promise from God. Oh, she starts crying there. Yeah. Yeah, Jesus, and he, did, and he fought with the devil there, right? He, he was tempted of the devil and defeated him in the wilderness. Um, the people of Israel, when Pharaoh was coming against them, right? Where they, where do they end up? They go into the wilderness, and then they're complaining because there's no food and water. But guess what? God feeds them there in the wilderness. Right. We yeah. we see uh, David, King David. Saul is persecuting him, wanting to kill him. He's like a dragon trying to destroy the seed, the chosen king of Israel. And David flees into the wilderness. When David's son rises against him again, he right back out into the wilderness, and the Lord My takes care of him. Right. Elijah. Uh, when Jezebel's trying to kill him, he flees into the wilderness, right? And the, and the Lord sends ravens to bring him food, you know, and feeds him there in the wilderness. So, like, this is a very 
prominent theme throughout scripture of, of the people of God in the wilderness being taken care of by God. Yes, yeah, there's more about the wilderness here. You keep doing that. You also the woman who was crying <laughs> and they thought she was <laughs> Hannah. Hannah. Yeah, that, bringing that forth a seed. Yeah, not be able to travail. But she, yeah, that's yeah. who I was thinking of instead of yeah. 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 Oh, that's who you were. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Hagar. H- I was like, H-A, and I'm like, <laughs> okay, let's hear the three options of the downfall of Satan from heaven. Okay. To hear them, I want to I wanna read that part. Verses 7 through um, 11. Yeah, through 12. 7 through 12. All right. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the world, the whole world. He was cast out into... The earth and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accusers of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcome him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they love not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. So, when we think of Satan falling from heaven, what's the first thing we think of, usually? How? Like the the sort of over the yeah. How are you, what? He got down yeah, he, he, got, he got thrown down because he wanted to be great. He wanted to be like God. So, yeah, we think of his initial fall, right? That's option number one. When he was he was a good angel, he was the anointed cherub in the garden of God, and yet he was cast down. That's an option, right? Because, uh, and that's why people say, oh, and he took a third of the angels with him when he fell. And that's where all the demons have come from and stuff. And they're, they're, the only place that third of the angels is referenced is this verse about the dragon with his tail drawing a third of the stars down to the earth. That's the only place that's mentioned in the Bible. Uh. Now, we know that Satan has angels that are fighting with him. We see that in, you know, verse 7 here, verse 8 or whatever. Uh, verse 7. And we know from, you know, other places in Scripture, Jesus talks about hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Uh, so that's option number one. Option number two is Jesus in the Gospel of John, actually, where close to where we were reading before. He says, now the prince of this world is cast out. And it talks about in his death on the cross and then his resurrection and ascension, um, Satan was defeated in that in that action. Right. And we talk about that all the time. Right. That that he. Um, the accuser of our brethren, right, is cast down in the sense that now he doesn't have a leg to stand on in his accusations anymore. Um, and that kind of fits with, you know, the child is caught up to God into his throne. There's a war in heaven and Satan is cast down. You know, there's that kind of an element of um, Satan's defeat. And in, so in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, now the prince of this world is cast out, he says. And uh, in Hebrews, he says, on the cross, he destroyed him who had the power of death. That is the devil. 
in, in uh, Colossians, it says, on the cross, he spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Um, and then I could go on and on with scriptures about how Jesus defeated the devil, you know, through the, his death, resurrection, and ascension. And then the third option is that in during the seventh trumpet, there's there's going to be a war in heaven where um, Satan is cast down to the earth, and that's that third woe, right? Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, because the devils come down, and it's this specific time of the devil reigning on earth. So what you were talking about before, it says neither was there found any more place for them in heaven. So apparently the devil and his angels had some kind of access to heaven, right? And so go ahead with what you were going to say about that. No, yeah, that's, I mean, basically what I was going to say, it's how, it, that's how it kind of sounds is that obviously, or not obviously, but that's what it sounds as if they have a place for whatever reason God allows it. And well, and there, what is the reason? Why, what did we see in scripture in the book of Job you mentioned earlier? What's the, what's the situation in the book of Job with Satan? Oh, oh when, he, when he comes up to talk to the Lord about Job. Yeah. Yeah, and what is he doing to, to Job? He's like, he's just telling the Lord that the only reason why that Job has anything to do with him is because he has all the blessings. That yeah, what an Lord. accusation against right. Job. He's accusing, right? yeah, he's yeah, accusing yeah. him before the Lord. He's standing there saying, and, and the Lord, I love how the Lord's like, Satan, where have you come from? Oh, walking to and fro through the earth. You know, like, and we see in First Peter, he says, your adversary, the devil, walks about to and fro like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And so he's walking around and he notices Job and he brings his accusation before God. And God, in like, you know, sometimes you're reading that you're like, why are you talking to him? Yeah, why are you, <laughs> yeah, why are you listening to, you know, uh, in Zechariah, we see the devil accusing somebody before God. Do you guys remember that? Satan standing there accusing somebody? Who that is? Zechariah chapter three. You remember that story? Um, Zachariah has a vision and he sees the high priest Joshua standing before the Lord and he's in dirty rags and Satan is standing at his right hand accusing him resisting him the Bible says he's he's standing there saying he shouldn't be high priest because of this, this, this and the Lord speaks to Satan he says the Lord rebuke you Satan this is a brand plucked out of the fire and then the Lord provides a new set of clothes for Joshua the high priest which is like an awesome picture of like oh, okay. being clothed in God's righteousness even though we come before him in dirty rags, you know, and there's this, it's like the devil is the prosecuting attorney, you know, mm -hmm. and then Jesus is our advocate and, and Zachariah's like, yeah, I give him a new hat. And Where uh, is that, Michael? Is that in the notes? That's in Zechariah chapter three. And uh, one more story about like the devil and his angels having access to heaven. Where, you guys remember when Ahab, the guy who was always fighting with Elijah, he's going up to a battle and he wants Jehoshaphat to go with him. And Jehoshaphat actually is a king who wants to follow the Lord. And so he says, before we go to battle, um, let's ask a prophet whether we should go or not. And so Ahab's like, oh, I got plenty of prophets on my payroll. And he calls a bunch of prophets in and they're all like, yes, Ahab, you're going to be successful. And they're all prophesying these good things for him. And one of them's like, you're going to get some iron horns. He's like, you're going to push back the enemy with these horns, blah, blah, blah. And then um, Jehoshaphat apparently can tell that they're not the real deal. And he's like, don't you have a true prophet of the Lord somewhere around here? And uh, Ahab says, well, there is one guy, but I hate him because he never says anything good about me. <laughs> okay. And so he's like, just call him. So he calls him and he comes. He says, yeah, go up. And uh, Ahab's like, how many times have I told you to only speak the truth? <laughs> and so he's like, okay, I'll tell you what I saw. I saw a vision. I saw the heavenly throne room. And the Lord was asking the question, 
how will we destroy Ahab? <laughs> it's like God's like having a, a meeting. He's like, all right, guys, let's get some ideas on the table. Brainstorm with me. How should we destroy Ahab? And in the vision he sees, he says, he sees a lying spirit come before the Lord and says, I'll put a lying spirit in the mouth of the prophets um, to convince him to go up to battle. And the Lord says, all right, go for it. And so Ahab gets mad and uh, false prophet gets mad and comes up and slaps him and and uh, Ahab throws him in prison until Ahab uh, goes to battle and dies, um, just as he said. Now, if, he, if he would have listened, he would have and not gone to battle, then it would have been all right. If there was repentance, you know, okay. there, there might have been. Actually, Ahab had already repented oh, when Elijah had come to him um, okay. over Naboth's vineyard, and he repented, and so the Lord had decreed something of how Ahab was going to die, Ahab and Jezebel, and Ahab repented and God says, okay, you won't die that way. Only Jezebel will die that way. That's the great verse about like dogs licking up the blood and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that's how Jezebel died because she, she had no repentance. <laughs> uh, but Ahab, he died a different way um, because he, you know, went back to doing what he was doing. But the Lord did relent on one punishment that he had already decreed for Ahab. So, you know, that is a possibility. But, um, uh, but the point of that is there's a lying spirit in heaven giving an idea of how to destroy Ahab. Like that's, that's strange. You know, that's a, that's a weird story. And we see all these descriptions of the devil, the word devil. Do you guys know what the word devil means? It's on the back of your sheet. The next, the next page. Oh, I knew I saw it. Michael, what story was that of Ahab? That's in uh, first Kings 18 and no, no, I'm sorry. First Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 18. Those are both the same story. Basically, slanderer, false accuser. Yeah, false accuser, slanderer. And you know what Satan means in Hebrew or Satan? Yeah, it means opponent, resistor, the accuser. Uh, like his name itself. So yeah, Satan means like adversary, opponent, you know, but... Uh, devil, the very term devil means false accuser. Isn't that interesting? Like that's like his job. That's how he's defined is he's a slanderer. He's a, an accuser. He's a liar from the beginning, right? So when we see this reference to him here, that great dragon was cast out. And you know who that great dragon is? He's that old serpent from Genesis 3 that was deceiving Eve and telling her that she could become like gods and knowing good and evil and telling her to disobey God. And and you know who else he is? He's he's called the devil or the false accuser, the slanderer. And uh, and you know what else he's called in the Old Testament? Satan, right? And the New Testament. But the opposer, the uh, the adversary, the enemy. And you know what he does? He deceives the whole world. That's that's his job description. And he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And they and they everybody's rejoicing because the accuser of our brethren is cast down which accused them before our God day and night. And that is why we need an advocate, right? Because mm -hmm. we have constant accusation uh, from the devil, right? And he, he tries to accuse us too. He tries to bring <coughs> up our sins. He tries to bring up our past. He tries to bring up things that maybe aren't even true, you know, but he's going to bring them up. He brings them up before God. He brings them up before us, just like Joshua standing there in those dirty clothes. And the Lord is willing to provide us clean clothes. He's willing to provide us uh, and defense. He's Jesus is called our advocate. He's called our, you know, the one who makes intercession for us. And so we have this option. And even here, when he's cast out, and they're like, "Oh, too bad for the inhabitants of the earth. He's out of heaven now. But now there's going to be trouble on earth. But there's still a, an option to overcome. And there's three things that we need to overcome the devil here. 
And what are they? Number one, the blood of the lamb, because that is what covers our sin. What is his main weapon against us? It's accusations. It's condemnation. It's he's accusing us before God day and night, right? That's and so we need the blood of the lamb to cover our sins. We need to be able to plead the blood of the lamb, right? Because uh, it's what this reminds me of in um, Pilgrim's Progress. Has anybody read that? The, it's an allegory. And so Christian is the main guy. And as he's traveling, a dragon comes up and stands in his path. And the dragon's name is Apollyon, you know, so what we read in chapter nine. And the dragon starts accusing him of all the stuff that he's done already. He's like, he's like, you don't deserve to go to the, the uh, I can't remember what it's called, but the, the city. Uh, because you fell into the bog of despondency and you, you listened to Mr. Worldly Wise Man and went off the path. And, you, and he starts telling him all his sins, all the things that he's already done wrong. And uh, I love Christian's response because he's like, all that you say is true and more. And yet I have an advocate. And yet I have a king who loves me and gave himself for me, you know? So when the devil accuses us, the wrong thing to do is like, no, I really am good. Because then the devil's won his case. If that's our defense, like, no, 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 I'm pretty good, actually. Like, I actually do a really good job. I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I, he's going to win every time. But if our defense is, you are correct on that point, here's what you're forgetting. I'm covered by the blood of the lamb. Then he'll never win. There's, there's nothing he can do about the blood of the lamb, right? Yeah. Secondly, the word of our testimony, testimony. right? And so when the devil comes up with these accusations, again, Jesus redeemed me. Yes, that's who I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore, right? We have a word of testimony of what Jesus has done for us. I can tell you, devil, the place where I got the Holy Ghost. I can show you the spot on the carpet, right? Where I can tell you about what I was before, right? Um, but what about when he's accusing falsely and he's lying about you? Then how is your response? The word of our testimony. Well, it's the same thing. Like, yes, you're right, even though he's accusing falsely. Well, no. So, like, so, so obviously, yeah. yeah. There you go. <laughs> Get behind me, Satan. That's when you just laugh, like, oh, yeah, child. yeah. Like the missionary that was. Uh, he says he woke up in. Uh, I think he was in Africa, and yeah. he felt a presence in the room. And he wakes up, and the devil standing at the foot of his bed, and he's like, oh, it's just you. And he went back to sleep. <laughs> 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 or like Jesus was the example when they were accusing him. Good. He said nothing. Good, yeah. yeah. And sometimes you are in places where you're being talked about and there's nothing you can say to justify anything. You just keep your mouth shut. And the Lord fights your battle. Well, and I, yeah, I've, I've experienced that. Before we came to ALT, they were saying all kinds of things about yeah. me. And I just, I, I did. I was just silent because I knew if this preacher's telling this preacher something, mm -hmm. I've got... There's nothing I can do yeah. to fight that. Mm -hmm. And so I was just quiet and, and the Lord did fight my battle. Yeah, yeah. And it makes me think of like in a courtroom, you know, if there's somebody who's got a really good lawyer and, uh, but they keep insisting on like saying stuff and they're messing up the case and the lawyer's like, look, just let me defend you. <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah. don't talk anymore. Oh, just let yeah, me, yeah, let yeah. me do it. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let's plead the fifth here. Okay. <laughs> you have the right yeah. to remain silent now. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like that with us, like sometimes mm -hmm. we try to fight our own battles and but Jesus is like, Hey, look, I'm a really good yeah, defense attorney. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the last thing is that they loved not their lives unto death. Right. So the other thing the devil tries to use to intimidate us is the threat that, well, if you, if you stand for the Lord, if you, you know, uh, try to, um, stick to your guns, then guess what? You're going to be killed and you're going to whatever. And it says, 
when Jesus destroyed the one who had the power of death, that is the devil, it says the devil held people in bondage through fear of death, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't even know that the devil has the power to actually kill people, but through fear of death, he keeps people in bondage. And if we have a fear of death, then we have a great, then the devil has a great tool to use over mm -hmm. us. But if we do not love our, <laughs> if we do not love our lives unto death, mm -hmm. then we are taking the last weapon that the devil has away from him, mm -hmm. right? So he has the true accusations, which are our true sins, but they're covered by the blood of the lamb. He has false accusations, but guess what? We have the word of our testimony and he has the fear of death, but guess what? That doesn't matter. Just like those two witnesses, because the spirit so of God is going to enter into us. False accusations and, and the word of our testimony. What, how do you reconcile those two? So like, um, so the word of our, so like think Silence about, is fun, but. yeah, um, I, like I'm trying to, I'm trying to use a, a biblical uh, parallel, but like, okay, like Jan, uh, Peter and John, when they're standing before the, the elders and after they've healed the lame man. Okay. And they're saying, you know, and they're um, they're coming against them and they're prosecuting them, right? And they're saying, you can't speak in the name of Jesus anymore. Mm -hmm. And they say, um, we can only say what we've seen and heard, right? Or mm -hmm. um, the blind man that Jesus healed that's standing in front of the Pharisees. And they're like, uh, they're trying to convince him that Jesus isn't from God. Because, he, you know, like, they're like, and there's like, look, you need to give the glory to God. Quit giving the glory to this man and blah 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 and they're, they're his parents won't say anything because they're afraid they're going to be put out of the synagogue and the pharisees are threatening this guy and he says um and they're like he is a sinner we know that he's a sinner and he's like well whether he's a sinner or not i don't know but this is what i do know <laughs> i was blind and now i see but in all those know? cases they're not accusing the person like they're not accusing him that they're accusing somebody else they're right okay that's true that that's true like the but I mean, you can see the like the power of the word of our testimony against the devil, right? Like the so whatever he says. In other words, most of the time he's going to come to us and tell us we're worth this, we ain't worthy of this. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're good for nothing. But we know what God has done for us, and that's a lie. We okay. know that we're worth something because why? Yeah. Because Jesus died on the cross for us, and He spilled His blood for us to cover us. If we weren't worth nothing. Why would he have done it? Yeah, and maybe I'm I'm describing like the wrong tactic, you know. To I, I was trying to like pair tactics with with defense, he, but he's like trying to tear us down, and our testimony should be able to be, one block all that and build us up as where we start thinking about all the good things that he's done for us. So then it's like yeah, whatever you're saying is nonsense, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I know where the word of uh, my testimony has helped me the most against the devil is when he's like trying to confuse me with like false doctrine or. Um, you know, something like somebody who's very smart and they're, they're telling me this stuff and, um, I don't have a good answer or whatever. But you know it's not right, but you don't. But then, yeah, but then I know what I, a lot of times what I'll come back to is like, okay, you know, I didn't really have a good answer for that. Like, I remember one time at college, the, the president of the college, you know, he grilled me for two hours or whatever. <laughs> and then I went out in the woods and I was praying and I, my mind was reeling because I was like, I was like, man, I, like, I don't even know how to pray right now because my mind is like, is a mess. Right. You know, and I, and I felt the Lord calming me down and saying, like, look, you, you know who I am. He started reminding me of, like, when I was 12 and he first called me and he and I saw who I was compared to who he was. And I I was remembering how he had taken care of us, you know, after 
Papa died and I was remembering, uh-huh. you know, like, and so the word of our, my testimony came back and it was able to like, okay, I may not be able to answer every single little thing, but I know who I am in him because I know what he's done in my life. I know, I know I can depend on him for, you know, these, uh-huh. these things because of the word of our testimony. And then when he falsely accuses us, uh, we, we don't have to say anything because it's, it's false, you know, yeah, like that's, yeah. that's what Peter tells us in first Peter. He says, um, if, um, if you're persecuted for doing righteousness, uh, well, that's good. You know, like yeah, that, that's, reward. yeah, yeah. Great yeah. is your reward. And he's, and he, he tells us to follow the example of Jesus, like sister Rochelle said, who did no sin and yet, um, he didn't speak and, yeah. and then he's vindicated. And, and what Peter tells us to do is he says, uh, commit yourselves rather to him who judges righteously as a faithful creator. You know, you know, like your own testimony, you know, shows that when we leave it in God's hands, he'll vindicate us and take care of us. And that's what I've told people, young people and stuff, too, when they um, somebody's saying something that's not true about them and they're so upset and they're asking me what to do. And I'm like, um, you don't have to do anything because it's going to be shown to be false if they're saying lies. You know, if this is a lie about you, then it's going to come out that it's that it's false. You don't have to uh, run around defending yourself. Yeah, mm-hmm. One of my all-time favorite quotes was, live your life in such a way that if someone were to speak badly of you, no one would believe it. Oh, I like that. Yeah. And we see that that being tried over and over like the with Daniel, you know, and he's righteous. And I, I love that part that... Like the wise men are trying to find something to stick to him and they, they can't figure anything out because he's so yeah. right. He's like, the only way we're going to get him is if we yeah. accuse him in something regarding his God, you know? So that's why they come up with that mm-hmm. whole plan, you know? Yeah. But yeah, Jesus was false. When, when Jesus said nothing, he was being I, falsely yeah, accused, you know? Answer. Yeah. Because yeah, the they were, they were lying sound. about him. They hired false accusers. The, when um, Stephen <laughs> was stoned, they hired false accusers. Okay. Examples. Yeah, that's it. Okay, well, let's pray. Brother Ephraim, you want to lead us in prayer? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this great time we had together reading your word, Lord, and and the understanding that you give us, Lord. And we just ask that you keep your hand upon us throughout the rest of this week. And as we leave and drive home, that your hand is upon us, Lord, and that you guide us every step that we take in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't know how many times I thought of current events tonight, but it was like 20. So, now- <laughs>